from Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. The sad truth is that in today's economy, black-owned businesses have a shorter lifespan and make far less money than comparable white businesses that provide the exact same service. Our guest today is doing everything in her power to change that. A few weeks back, we jumped on a Zoom call to chat with Dr. Key Holman, founder and CEO of The Village Market. The Village Market team has coined the phrase, support is a verb. Through various educational and community events, Dr. Key is on a mission to empower black entrepreneurs and unite her community. We proudly present to you, Dr. Key Holman. Well, Dr. Lakeisha Holman, or Dr. Key, as we settled before the show, is how we're going to address um, this uh, this amazing lady in this uh, podcast here. So, Dr. Key, welcome. Thanks so much for being on Atlanta Born and Brand today, and um, we're glad to have you first and foremost. But the first thing I love to ask folks is if you bump into somebody on the street and they say, okay, who are you and what do you do? What's your your 30-second, you know, minute-long uh, elevator pitch, as they say, to uh, to describe who you are and what you guys do? Super good question. Super good mm. question. And it really depends on what day, what street I'm on, how I answer. There you go. <laughs> but today, I would say if someone bumps into me, um, I'm a human first, mm. a super dedicated, present family member. Um, then my first priority is my family. And then next, the, my overall health and the health of my community. I'm an educator, a speaker. I am a literature boss. I'm super introverted and I pretend <laughs> to be an extrovert. I love so much, so much, just everyday good people. My work is mission driven, rooted in purpose. Sometimes I overanalyze things, and other days I'm a free bird. So that's how I would introduce myself. <laughs> well, what if they ask you the same thing about uh, the village market? What would you say? If I'm asked about the village market, I, I will tell you and everyone, it's the coolest thing ever. Hmm. I am so grateful to, been, to have been given a vision in 2016 of a viable colorful, insulated, engaging, and impactful community. A community that doesn't compromise excellence, that doesn't compromise value, and and it is a hodgepodge of entrepreneurship and everyday people who love local business owners and small businesses. But it is, and then I would add, it is one of the best things I've been called to participate in. Mm. And so many people say, you're the founder, you're the creator of the village market. Mm. And what I say, I'm super grateful to have been given a vision and having a trusted community to help me birth it. Hmm. 
I think that's such a telltale sign that you're on to something when you create something that you love participating in after the fact, Mm -hmm. you know, that you love being a part of, that you love, um, that you're just excited about. You know, it's not, you know, this is not about a, you know, get rich quick scheme. This is something that you actively enjoy, um, which is is super cool. Is that, is that kind of how you feel about it? Yes. Uh, it's, it's love. Mm-hmm. The village market for me is love. And what I would share about love and creating things and passion, it can be complicated and extremely hard. But every night I go to sleep, very aware that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do at this time. Mm-hmm. If I ever have any struggle, it is simply, am I doing it at the best of my ability? Right. Am I pushing it as hard and, and as far as it can go? But I've never questioned if the village and what I'm doing is exactly what I should be doing. Hmm. So, yes, I, it's love for me. Yeah. Well, as we talked about, you, you've got an expensive few letters in front of your name uh, in, in that, that doctor title. So obviously, school has been a, a major part of your story. But take me back. Tell me about where did you grow up? What, what sort of uh, events in your life sort of shaped you and led to um, you know, the decision to, to go the path that you went uh, for a career? Yes. So I have letters and a lot of uh, debt. <laughs> with oh, everything man. with every growth point there's a sacrifice sure so i'm originally from originally from a small town in, in mississippi baseville hmm. i love to talk about it so i can make sure we're on the map because a, a great deal of my family um, still lives in mississippi and it's it's just on the border of the mississippi delta okay i didn't grow my, my family are blue collar workers, farmers, factory workers, and some entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurship skipped the generation. So my, grand, my grandparents, my grandparents are entrepreneurs. Then my parents, my, my mother's deceased, blue collar workers, and then entrepreneurship leaped back on me again. Um, so I, I think how I arrived to being so dedicated to my personal growth and that's through academia and even a holistic growth comes from my family my parents in particular pushing my sister and i it was us first and then then there's two more um pushing us to be good stewards of our education we could never ever ever compromise um how well we did in school and how well we performed Hmm. Because for my parents, who were 19 and 20 when they had me, my mother was a high school dropout, and my father only had one semester in college. They often told us that they had, that they wanted us to live better than them. Hmm. And my mother would say, well, the people who I see on television, and our examples would be the Huxtables. Hmm. I'm an 80s baby. So... My mother would see characters on television and they all had academic success. Mm. And so when she would dream for my sister and me, she would say, okay, you all need to go to school so you can do these things. But she would always be so honest, Jonathan, and my father as well. 
that they didn't have those life experiences. So they didn't necessarily know how to guide us to it and guide us to have all the letters behind our names and a life different from theirs. But they knew that it was very much so attainable because other people had done it. Sure. And as far as entrepreneurship, I've seen from my grandmother, even present day, her deeply care about every customer that she comes in, in contact with. She's a seamstress, still present day. And if, if, you all, if you talk to her, she's gonna tell you that she's retired. <laughs> but if you see her, you know she's better. Still <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, you know better. But she's a seamstress in the Mississippi Delta. And I grew up reading books under her sewing, sewing machine desk. I would be under the desk reading my books and she'll be um, making wedding dresses and quilts. Wow. And I was very shy and coy as a kid. So I would look up when her customers would come in and her clients would come in. And I saw firsthand how much she cared about every single person. And what they didn't see, I saw how much she cared about every detail of her work being in excellence. Right. So I think as you get to see these things, as, as my parents are pushing me towards academic success and stability, I'm also watching what it means to have good customer service and also to work very hard for the thing that you created. Those things begin to seep into your being. When you're young, you have no idea. And then you grow up, you see yourself pushing me, um, first generation, my sister and I, first generation, um, college graduates. I'm the first with all the letters behind my name um, <laughs> on, on my mother's side yeah. of the family. And also the first to have a super, um, to have a successful um, business that, that I've created and it has expanded nationally and internationally. Yeah. So I'm, little, I will say a little small town and it doesn't matter. It really de- deeply depends on how much, how much the people who couldn't give you the things they, they wish for you to have, hmm. how much they poured into you that it was still very much accessible. I've always sure. just had good people in my life. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's super important for so many of us that, that had a, a great foundation of somebody just, you know, speaking dreams and truth to us at a young age, you know, of just, hey, you, you can do this. All it takes is, is an, one example of somebody that's come from your background, from your neighborhood that has done it to say that's possible, right? And and to give you those dreams. Now, I know I know from where you are, your parents followed that up with, but it ain't gonna be easy. <laughs> it's not gonna be given to you. There's gonna be a lot of hard work involved. Um, but on that note, did you have sort of that entrepreneurial spirit, that uh, that drive at a at a young age, and did you know ultimately that that's what what you wanted to do whenever whenever you were done with school? Well, I think what I saw first for myself, I remember, I think it was career day when I was in third grade. I have no idea why we have career day in third grade. We have no idea who we, who we are. We just know what cereal we like. Right. But needless to say, I went to school and I told every I told my class that I wanted to be a teacher. That never left. So when I graduated from Tugalo College and I started my graduate program at the University of Mississippi, I began teaching in the Mississippi Delta um, and in Quitman County School District. I taught there for five years, 10th and 12th grade English. I, you know, when I try to think about what I've done from college to those first five years to the village, none of them are better than each other. Yeah. 
they were they have all been so deeply fulfilling and poured into who I am today. So that my I, I think my first nudge was to be an educator. The second nudge was while while I was in a traditional setting um, teaching, and that's actually what drew me to Atlanta. I got a job in Cobb County, and then I started working as a researcher for the Georgia Department of Education under school improvement. Being inside of the traditional setting, I longed to be free. Free in my thoughts, free in my radical beliefs about education, reform, um, free in my, my desire to have control of my intellectual work and to not compromise what I deeply believe in what, what radical change looks like. And I think that nudge is what pushed me to entrepreneurship. I, and also with a city like Atlanta, you see entrepreneurs every day. Mm. You have places like the gathering spot and you're, you're having your tea and you're sitting next to a founder. Sure. And so being in close proximity to people who have launched and created things, it helps you. It's very much, very similar to what my parents taught me that mm. if you can truly see it, it's very possible for you. Right. So the nudge wasn't necessarily entrepreneurship. The first nudge was my deep desire to be free and my beliefs and what I said and what I shared and how I looked at research. So yes and yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. Yeah. I just want to be anchored in creating things that I deeply believe in 100%. Right. So the the teacher aspect of you is super interesting to me. And those five years that you spent teaching in, on the Mississippi Delta, I just I would love for you to talk more about uh, how that shaped you and how that sort of because you talked about all these things. No, no no one season is better than the other. They're all building blocks, right? That are that are sending you to a different direction or into a certain direction. What were those things that you learned in that five years or or injustices maybe that you may have witnessed or opportunities you may have seen that led you to the next next phase of your life? What I experienced when I was teaching in the Mississippi Delta, I was 22 years old. <laughs> and my first set of students were 17 and 18 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> I had to grow up really quickly. <laughs> And I would tell myself in my 20-minute drive to work that at that time, I'm probably listening to Usher or something in a car or Jay-Z. Yeah. And I get to campus, have to turn my music down because now I have to be older presenting. Mm -hmm. What it taught me by my first years of teaching in particular, I really understood that there are extremely talented young people all over the world. And that it doesn't matter how extremely talented and gifted young people are. If there's, if there's not someone or a system in place to be a bridge for them, so much of their talent will be, won't be discovered because of the conditions of where they live. It broke my heart. And, I'll, and, and at the same time of my heart being broken for so many gifted young people who I had an opportunity to teach and to love and to be in close proximity with, 
it opened my heart up as well because it changed. I, I thought I was going to teach in the Mississippi Delta to teach about James Baldwin and Shakespeare and, and Emerson and Thoreau and all of these gifted writers who I love so much and hold so dear to my heart, Toni Morrison. But what I really learned while I was called to be there, that I, can, that I would be taught myself how and what change really looked like. I understood that if I only taught my, my students and my children who are still my children now, if I only taught them Morrison, I failed. If I didn't expose them to a world that's so much larger than their small town, I think it's maybe 800 to 900 uh, residents, yeah. uh, re residents there, then I deeply failed them. The, the things that I learned about education, that it's so limited. Um, the job of a teacher, if we follow the curriculum and the syllabus, we're limited in how much we can expose young people to. And that radical, I was 22, so I was even more radical then. <laughs> I want, <laughs> good trouble, good trouble. That's right. Um, yeah, good trouble. But, as much as I love what I thought to be traditional education, I still have a love for it now. But I, I think what it exposed to me is that however, the, however young people see the world is very limited to what we are told to teach hmm. and what we have freedom to share sure. and what we have freedom to be honest about. But some of my best experiences, when I've, I've seen young people who our first-generation high school graduates graduate. I, I remember working after hours with a couple football players. They were the excellent football players on the field and struggled with reading. Hmm. Privately, I would stay at school till about 7.30 days when practice would be over. Hmm. And I would do reading, after-hour reading lessons and writing lessons for football players because by day, they're the super cool kids on, on campus. Mm -hmm. But what they were privately carrying is that carrying inside of them is that they, they couldn't read, not even the playbook. Wow. So I'm in the evening reading Dr. Seuss and helping talented, talented young men get to the point by the end of the year that they can write full essays and that they can re read full chapter books. And what that means, setting them up to pass their graduation exam. Right. Those are the things, those are the stories that I don't think good teachers have an opportunity to tell. Hmm. The things that, that you do privately to protect your children in life, because if they ever had an injury, all the popularity would, would cease because they're not valuable anymore. They're not an athlete. Yeah. Other things I've experienced, two students very dear to me were killed. And at this time I was probably 24, 25. No one ever told me that students could die. Yeah. I never, all the things that you hear about in, in education, you, you're not taught that you can love a young person so much and they can be killed in that's gun not in, violence. That's not in the curriculum that you go through. No. None of it. 
And so two students who I carry in my work now, I had to go to their funerals and it grew, oh, it grew me up so much. Yeah. It, and, and what that opened, opened to me is that life is so short and life right. is so delicate. Let me give my young people all that I have inside of me <laughs> and to show them that there's a different world and there's a different way. I wouldn't take anything for that first leg of the journey of my life, nothing. No. I have young people who are now PhDs, who are finishing up law school, who have left the Mississippi Delta and just one student, one former student just did a, a play off Broadway in New York and I was able to, to go and attend wow. that. It is amazing to see things that I read about when they were even either in 10th grade or 12th grade, they're actually doing the things. Coming true. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I awesome. hope I answered that question. I just, those were the best, some of the yes. best years of my life. Yes, ma'am. You answered it beautifully. And that's, that's so powerful. Um, and something you said that, that resonated in that to me builds a bridge between what you were doing there and what you're doing now is just seeing that extraordinary talent, extraordinary dedication, um, extraordinary passion for something sometimes can, can be lost if there's not opportunity, right? So yes. providing the opportunity to those couple football players that they wouldn't have had had you not gone out of your way to do that was such a huge factor in getting them to that, that goal and that dream of graduating and, and maybe having the opportunity to keep playing football somewhere, whatever it might have been. And then to think about what you're doing now and providing opportunity for some entrepreneurs who, you know, started this thing in their basement or their garage and are trying to figure out how do I get this thing that I'm passionate about into the world and in front of people who can support me and who care about it and who need these these products and these services. There's a direct link there, you know. It makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm just wondering, okay, when's that light bulb moment for you and what was that like? when you first started developing this concept of what of what the village market was going to be? Very similar to when I was teaching. So it was a perfect segue. Very similar. I I was growing my relationships in, in Atlanta. I only knew maybe one or two people from Mississippi when I moved here. Hmm. And one of my very good friends at the time wanted to start a culinary business. She could cook, really cook. It, was one, it wasn't one of those things that you just big your friends up. She could, she was, it, it's really special. <laughs> she had it. She had it. Yeah she, yeah, yeah, she has it. And so I would ask her questions. Her name is KJ. I said, well, KJ, your food is really good. It can't just be for us and your family. And she's like, yeah, I really want, I really want to start my business, but I have no idea how to do it. And it was like pinged in my brain that she didn't know in my brain that meant she needed someone to help her grow, that she had a thing that someone needed to help her grow it. Another good friend, um, she's still the DJ um, for the Village Market. Her name is Felicia Rose. She's Boogie to us. Boogie was looking to, she was doing some small, small DJing gigs here and there, and her aspiration was get, getting some corporate clients, et cetera, growing and to be in this 
amazing DJ for the city of Atlanta. My question to Boogie was, how, how do you do that? And she would say, I don't know. And, I'll, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a teacher for life. I don't know means that that's a problem. And the problem is what I run toward. The problem excites me. So I took those two and then I started to tell people, I was riding my bike and playing tennis with a couple organizations that I'm going to start a, a class at Urban Grind Coffee Shop um, that my good friend Cassandra owns. I'm going to do a class called It Takes a Village and it's for entrepreneurs because I keep finding all these cool entrepreneurs who's saying that they're, they have a need and that need was knowledge and resources. The other part of my life, I had relationships with entrepreneurs who were extremely successful. So I needed to figure out what was the vibe, how are they extremely successful and then another subgroup still trying to figure it out. My goal was to put, to bridge those two communities together. And so through the It Takes a Village series at Urban Grind, I would bring senior level mentors and we would do what appears to be master classes at the coffee shop. And we made it all grown and sexy, super cute. Everybody has to be super, super cute. Uh, it's a nighttime event. And my first class was in January 2016 and we welcomed about 96 people. Wow. And then the next class, we had 146. The coffee shop only holds about 60 people comfortably. <laughs> then the next class, um, we had over 210 people register. That's when I realized that I had something. Mm -hmm. and, this, and this class was truly entrepreneurs who were successful, was just telling all their secrets. Right. And so at the end, and what I was doing, because I'm a researcher, I was softly doing a pilot study. I was grabbing my, my target population who are entrepreneurs. They're the ones that's coming out to the classes and learning by the questions that they were asking. I'm just coding and writing down everything that they're asking, what, what they say they needed, the hard things, that, the ways that they were stuck. And the, by the fourth class, I made an announcement that I, I asked them. I said, so we've had these classes. We met some extremely incredible people and pause, outside of those classes, I would do a small subgroup called the Talented 10. So I would choose 10 people from the audience to do some private classes with me. Um, their only responsibility, that whatever they learned, they had to go teach to someone else. Wow. So all these things are 100% free. Um, so the, my, my fourth class, I made an announcement saying, hey, we've been doing these classes. Many of you all have done the Talented 10 program. Um, and that was at Honey Bubble, another tea shot. What do you need? 83% of the audience said they needed a space that people knew that they existed. And that's how I launched the village market. And I told them to give me a month. I'm going to have a way that all the entire city of Atlanta would know that they exist. And my, their only obligation was to operate in excellence that to bring the best of their talents, the best of their customer service to this experience that I didn't have a name for yet, that they had to bring and come delivering their best. And I would bring and gather people who believe in them. And to me, that belief meant that they would buy from them. Because from, for any entrepreneur who is service and consumer based, the best way that you know that you have something is that people will actually invest in you. Mm. And so that's where support as a verb came from. 
Um, that's where spend your money, where your people are. These are things that I've said since 2016 with the village market, because I wanted to be very clear to the, the community that this is not an event where you're coming to take pictures right. or this is, this is an event that you can take pictures after you made purchases, <laughs> but we are, we have a goal. We have a goal to advance economic equity for black businesses, because what I know to be true, Jonathan, social capital is extremely important, but we will not survive if there's, if there's not economic opportunities and stability. Truth. Black businesses and brown businesses and any small businesses have been the skeletons of every community across the country. The mom mm. and pop stores that we probably all can remember when we were little. Yeah. The re yeah. And people, people have to continue supporting them. And so that's why I created the village market, but it came from a very pure need that businesses needed exposure and beyond exposure, they needed resources from people that they could trust. That's so good. No, and you're so right because sentiment is powerful, but action is is more more so. You know, so going and like you said, I love that saying of uh, spend your money where your people are. Um, that's that's truth. You know, and that's that's what you know with the podcast and Atlanta born and brand. It's like okay, let's educate people where they have the opportunities to spend that money. You know, and and. God love Walmart and Target and, and Amazon, but they don't live down the street from you. <laughs> you know, right. those, dollars, right. those dollars are going somewhere far, far, far away um, at the end of the day. So, so now you got me super curious. You curated this group of people that you felt like could, could contribute and, can, and could launch this thing effectively. What were the first few iterations like for you? What did uh, what did what was the first experience of seeing that in action? What did that look like? Where was it, and and how did that go? I probably hugged everybody who came through the door, and of course, <laughs> I didn't know half these people. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. The coolest thing about creating something is when when you realize that people actually are participating in it right. so we had 21 small businesses who um that showcased for the first marketplace and then we had a little bit over 500 people that came out wow. and we were at the DeFore center i had never booked a venue i also never worked with vendors or other contractors before this is one of those times that i was pretending that i knew what i was doing <laughs> Fake it till you no, make it. Fake it till you make it. I had no idea. And I was and I could see myself um, talking to the people at the DeForest Center and other contractors. And I and I sound like I was really clear mm. on how the night was going to be. I had no idea. So mm. over five hundred people came out and I was just in in it was just such a jubilant feeling mm. because I knew that people were coming to support the businesses. Because the, the what the all call that was sent out to the communities before we had an Instagram page, before we had a website and all these things, and before we had name recognition, I was very clear that you are coming to support and you're coming to spend. We have a goal. Yeah. The so that was my first iteration, and it was amazing. It was amazing, and then my second one was in July. Um, and that's when I, July marketplace 
helped me see that I truly had something. And then I needed to quickly frame what that something was because it grew out of the seams. So we had 500 and then we had 800. And by my third iteration, we had jumped to 2100. And so we grew from in a year and a half, welcoming about 20 to 23 entrepreneurs to now getting to 100 and 150. Mm -hmm. And what that also meant, we grew from only being local in Atlanta to now we're getting applications from South Africa. We're getting applications from the Bahamas, California, Chicago. And I would read these and I would think, did they mean to apply for my marketplace? (laughs) (laughs) Is this real? Uh, And we could only, so we had to get larger venues and I had to now get a review committee because we vet every single business who participates in the village market. Mm. And to participate, you also must agree to be a part of the incubator program that leads up. So you must, that same model of teaching and then learning and then teaching is still there. I I would never change that. Mm. Um, So now I have a whole committee that helps me screen applications because when we open up to have a marketplace, we have at minimum 750 applicants applying to be a part of every marketplace from across the country and out of the country. It, it, it's still, I'm so humbled by all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a cool, cool feeling. We work with um, over 1,200 entrepreneurs to date. We've had uh, so many classes and really successful marketplaces. We just did an impact analysis we've circulated $2.7 million in the city of Atlanta. We have a campaign going on now that we launched August 3rd and we're already at $800,000. We've circulated since August 3rd. Wow. I'm just super, super excited that people believe and trust the work that we do. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about what you guys are doing now in, in the midst of, of COVID-19 and everything, all the ramifications, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, you said when you first started, it didn't have a name. How did you settle on the village market and, and how did that ultimately come to be? So my grandmother, I, I think it's just scripted in my brain. She would tell me all the time, it takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village. That's why my first series was called, it takes a village series. That's, I'm deeply, um, deeply connected to my family and the values that I, I learned from, from, from my family. So I knew that what I was trying to create was a village and it is a market. So I just put those two things together, but the village has to lead because I can't imagine for you, for myself, anything that we desire to do well in life, we cannot do it alone, even though we spend some hours midnight hours probably by ourselves thinking about things but it takes a person or people to help us birth those things and so that's why the village concept is so important and that's why village is rooted in the name of village market and the other programs that that we have going on i want our larger community and every entrepreneur to understand that it truly does take a village to do the work especially impactfully that that we want to do well, and there's an aspect of community in the word village that isn't in town or city or even the word, you know, community. That word village is, I mean, 
it just takes you back to, okay, this is truly like your family is not just the people that live in the house with you. It's your neighbors. It's the people you grow up going to school with. It's the people that you run into at the grocery store. So it's, it's a perfect name. It's, it's, it's aptly named for your goals and your dreams. And, um, it makes perfect sense. I don't know if you saw, um, there's a show on NBC. It only lasted one season. They canceled it called the village. And the whole concept was, these folks that live in an apartment building in New York City, and they are just more than neighbors. They meet on the rooftop deck every Friday night, and they have dinner together as a community, as a, as a village. Um, and it was just super, you know, impactful for me because that becomes less and less prevalent now nowadays in a lot of communities. That uh, you know, especially in a uh, in a car-driven city like Atlanta where you walk out your front door in the morning, you get in the car, and you go to work 30 minutes away, and then you drive back, and there's not that daily interaction with the people that you're around, and what that leads to is, is a lack of support for folks who are trying to start something or are trying to launch something or um, when people are in need those needs, you know, fall by the wayside because people aren't aware because they don't have that personal connection or relationship with each other. So, um, yeah, love that concept of, of a true village of folks who have common goals, who care about one another, who meet needs when they arise of, uh, of the people in their village. So that's super cool. But, and to see the humanity, Yeah, the village helps us see each other's, uh, humanity. Hmm. I think I care about that the most Yeah. because if we can see each other, humanity, if you can see mine and I can see yours, then we give each other grace sure. and we're much more likely to support each other in a time of need. Yeah. Giving each other grace is something I think we could all do a little bit better. Um, you know, and, and that's super important. I'm so glad you said that because it's, we forget, um, that, that people are vulnerable. You know, and that, mm -hmm. you know, the person sitting across the table from you has the same, a lot of the same challenges and, and uh, hurdles that they have to leap over. Or sometimes they have a lot more hurdles and challenges to leap over than you do. So seeing their human, humanity and being able to reach out and say, hey, let me help you with that is is super important. So I'm glad you said that. Thank you for, for adding that. But um, on to... <laughs> more challenging topics of conversation you develop this community that is super focused on being in the same room with each other and large gatherings of people and businesses and um you know hard goods and all these things and then you have a pandemic um set before you obviously that impacts what you're doing but if there's something that I've figured out from, from 45 minutes of talking to you is you're, you're not someone who's going to uh, throw in the towel very easily and you are not a quitter and you're not someone who's going to uh, let the, the needs that are before your eyes go unmet. What have, has been going on in your brain since the start of COVID and what steps have you guys taken to try to meet those needs in the midst of all these restrictions that you now face? I think it was March 13th, uh, whatever the day that the NBA announced that they were canceling the season. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my team and I talk and group me a lot. And, and so I messaged them. I said, I, I don't know a time in history that mm -hmm. I've seen a major sports organization 
cancel a season. Yeah. This is much more serious than what we ever thought it would be. And that, and then I told them to give me 48 hours and I would have a solution. Um, I would have a solution and I would have communication that we would send out to the small businesses. Right. And so in that time, I really thought, I, I didn't necessarily think about what it meant for the village. I mean, we had an event coming up in two weeks. So that means we had already spent a great deal of money to curate the village market. And, but what I also knew that meant that all the contractors whom we work with to build our shows, all the artists and just even to the parking attendants who we hire, I knew that within 48 hours, they're going to be slammed with how many people have to cancel. Yeah. And so for them, so they, they, those, they were my first thought hmm. because I'm in the event world. So I knew that so many people I worked with for years are probably having one of their lowest moments because yeah. all of their events are being canceled. And so we had to come up with, I had to come up with a solution for that first with how do we soften this for them? And then also how do I fundraise to help them? Right. Um, and then secondly, I knew that we couldn't cancel our marketplace. It just had to be different. I, it's, my brain is somewhat wired to, whoa, this is, this is tough. Mm. What are we going to do and how are we going to make whatever we do cool? Yeah. So I got on an emergency call with my team and I said, we're going to have a virtual marketplace. And I have no idea what it looks like, but I need you all to send out communications to the community today and to the businesses that we're not postponing we're simply we're simply pivoting and that i gave them the analogy that pivot only means that you're altering direction but you're going towards the same goal mm. and so i have a really good team they they trust me yeah. um i probably drive them bananas but <laughs> they were all <laughs> all hands on deck from that moment forward and so what we had our virtual marketplace had over seventy-two thousand shoppers and I was still able to um, keep so many contractors on in different ways, just think creative things to make sure people still have, um, have some type of uh, revenue coming in. Mm. And after we successfully had our virtual marketplace, out my, the next team meeting, that was also very hard. I don't want yeah. to make that sound easy. It's probably one of the worst things I've ever done. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. It was really, it's because we had to, like, my team and also I had to really change and think about communication and connection differently. Completely different, yeah. Completely different. The only positive is that we had two weeks, so you're in reaction mm. mode, and you're not necessarily emotional during that state, because we had, we had a hard finish line. Sure. Now, afterwards, I probably... Um, just colloquially speaking, probably had PTSD from anything virtual. It was, it was very hard. Zoom was, fatigue is a real thing. Oh my gosh. It was so, so hard. And so we took one week off and then our next team meeting, um, I shared with my team that we have a number of businesses who we love that if we don't come up with a new solution, a new incubator program, we won't be able to shop from them probably within three months, within six months. 
And so everything that we would have to do is help businesses be ready to operate in this virtual space, very similar to what we had to do. And so we started to send out surveys um, to see how tech enabled the companies were. And then I also was getting through the pipeline that PPP would be um, rolling out. And so I started to ask some of my community partners what, what was the criteria for PPP. Of course, they had no idea because it kept changing. But we knew, <laughs> we knew that having um, financials ready and having filed your taxes would be one of the, the biggest decisions um, of, of disqualification. So I got a couple CPAs on board to do uh, some PPP preparedness where we had some hard conversations with businesses. If they hadn't filed their taxes, I had people who were ready to help them file yeah. and um, really to clean up their books. We, and that, so that was in April, and we did that throughout May. Hmm. Starting in June, we've been still keeping, um, it's called a SIN 100 with this particular program. Our goal is to help 100 businesses to SIN through COVID. Hmm. And that's becoming tech enabled. Um, and that's partnering with companies like Pfizer, Pinterest, Google. I've leveraged every relationship I ever had yeah. to make sure um, that the people who are offering classes for us in Saturday school are people with experiences and also people who have access to funding. Mm. So we've been able to have a great deal of support with making sure businesses get technical assistance that they need, connections that they need for uh, resources. And, all, and also working with some financial partners because a number of businesses, even though we had those classes, still did not get PPP for a number of reasons. Right. But the things that we can control is helping businesses get their financials together. So I've been super dedicated in that space. And another, because the work that we do is, I call this is holistic entrepreneur work. We, I have a weekly uh, series called Anchored with, in partnership with Therapy for Black Girls. Um, and two other therapists who they, they let me hang out with them. I'm not a therapist. <laughs> but we do this. We welcome um, 150 to 300 um, business owners in the space every week to almost come undone. So it's not business mm -hmm. classes. It is how are you doing? Yeah. And we spend an hour and a half once a week just in that space um, so we can make sure that the community is also getting their emotional needs and mental needs being met because right. this is this is a lot and mm -hmm. as we're striving as i'm striving to make sure that our businesses um stay open we also have to make sure that we're we're well yeah. and so we we've tackling it the same as when the world was open we're tackling we're we're doing the things that that we have always done just differently yeah. And the positive is that I've learned so many cool techie things. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I've learned so much. I've met yeah. such incredible people. I've um, I have such great allyships. If COVID COVID nineteen and this um, this in the pandemic itself and the social unrest in our country mm. has exposed some of the worst of of people. But what I will say, it also has exposed some of the best people. No, and these not. best people are all trying to work together for solutions. And I've been able to really connect to solutions-oriented people. And that's one of the things I think we could just hope and pray that, you know, 
in an election year and in time of, like you said, social unrest and, and a pandemic that um, people can can just be human, you yeah. know, and can realize yes. that other folks are struggling, um, you know, as bad, if not worse than you are. And going out of your way to um, not be a jerk, <laughs> to, to uh, be supportive, lend a helping hand where you can, because we all have skills that other uh, other folks need. Um, we all have talents, and and in your case, wisdom and uh, advice and and you know education and knowledge that that can help other people. So, thank you for what you're doing, uh, Dr. Key. Um, please let us know if we can help. I want to leave an opportunity now for you to tell folks how they can uh, get involved, how they can contribute, where they can find uh, find more information about the Village Market. Yes, all things Village Market can be found at www.thevillagemarketatl.com. And that's also on all platforms. If you are looking to be a mentor to a small business owner, we have an application online, or you can email me directly. If you click on my picture on our website, then you can automatically email me. If you're a small business who needs support, please sign up online. Uh, we, we have an open um, process currently for small businesses. Mm. Lastly, if you want to follow me personally, every now and then I'm on social. Um, that is Dr. Key Hallman. Um, mostly I'm on Instagram. I'm still learning Twitter. Um, but above all things, I really would love to encourage the community and our listeners is just to remember that we're all human yeah. and to give each other grace and love. Um, and I think that is of, of most importance and urgency right now. And thank you so much, Jonathan. This was super yes, cool. Ma'am. This was great. It's great getting to know you. And, and I have so many questions and thoughts uh, ready for part two of this whenever uh, we come back together sometime in the future. So thanks, Dr. Key, and best of luck with everything. Hopefully we can get back to large markets full of 500 people again sometime in the near future and, and get this thing back rolling. But I know you guys will come up with with a solution until then. But uh, holler if we can help with anything, and uh, we'll talk with you soon. Thank you. Take care. Yes, ma'am. See ya. Amidst the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, so many small businesses have had to pivot their business plan, and the village market is no different. To stay up to date and find out how you can get involved, head to thevillagemarketatl.com or follow at thevillagemarketatl on social media. Atlanta Born & Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectsatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born & Brand and Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all soon. <laughs>